truly uh, been upon us as you all led us this morning, and thank you um, greatly for that. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Romans chapter 10. We're going to uh, finish up this glorious chapter, and I'm going to ask that you follow along with me as I begin reading in verse 14. Romans chapter 10, it's in the New Testament if you're visiting with us. If you find the Gospels, you just go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and you'll find Romans. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14. Paul writes, and he says, How will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he's heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. As we continue our study through the book of Romans, particularly this section that began in chapter 9 and carries itself through chapter 11, 9 through 11, we need to keep in mind and keep before us Paul's evangelistic emphases, his, his heart, his, his zeal for writing these chapters, for writing really the book of Romans. Remember, Romans 9 through 11 concerns Paul's anguish his grief, his burden over the nation of Israel. that They have, by and large, rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no doubt, Paul's grief is, is stirred because as he has ministered in Jerusalem, in Judea, many of his friends have turned against him. His countrymen have turned against him. And no doubt, even some of his family have turned against him. It's this emotion that comes through in, the, in several points through Romans 9 through 11. You, you see in chapter 9, verse 1, Paul says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart over this. Chapter 10, verse 1, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is Israel, that they may be saved. And then in chapter 11, verses 13 and 14, he he says, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. And so while these chapters have been meaty, and if you've been with us, they've been, there's been some tough pills to swallow through Romans 9 in particular. Thinking of of God's sovereignty, issues of of divine election and and human reprobation. Those are meaty theological concepts. Those are big God concepts that we can't fully get our mind around. But these chapters are also very practical as well. You see Paul praying for the lost. Paul grieving over the lost Paul explaining his evangelism, his preaching to the lost. And so chapter 9 focused on God's sovereign purposes in salvation, showing us that ultimately, whether one believes 
or not is in God's hands. Nevertheless, chapter 10 shows us that God does not work apart from human means. And those who reject Christ, as we're going to see, are held responsible for their rejection. Last Sunday, we saw five necessary steps before someone can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. These steps kind of working in reverse are found in verses 14 through 15 we just read. But first of all, a messenger, a a preacher must be sent, Paul says. And not only must messengers be sent, but these messengers, they must preach. They must communicate the gospel. Number three, the gospel of Christ must be heard. Number four, the gospel of Christ must be believed. And number five, the gospel of Christ must be confessed. And so laying out these, if you want to say, steps, God has put before us both the necessity and the urgency of evangelism. Paul concludes that section. Look at verse 17 again of chapter 10. So, he's concluding here. So, faith, that's saving faith, comes from hearing. And hearing what? Hearing through the Word of Christ. Brothers and sisters, there is no other means by which people will be saved than by hearing the message of Jesus Christ. There's no other way. Now this doesn't mean, as Paul says here, and and I said this last Sunday, that as he talks about the preaching, yes, he's talking about heralding, preaching, him setting up a lectern and proclaiming very similar to what I'm doing right now. But that doesn't mean that everyone has to be a preacher in that vocational sense. Nor does it mean that everybody needs to be a preacher in a heralding sense. But what we're going to see here is that every person has to be a preacher in a sharing sense. In fact, this word that's used for heralding is, is spoken of even in the book of Acts as, as those went from house to house heralding the gospel. I, I don't think they knocked on their door, set up their pulpit, and said, thus says the Lord, boom, you know, and, and screamed in their face. But they were sharing. They were proclaiming the gospel. And so if the word of Christ, that, that, that message, if the gospel does not come, This is what Paul's getting at. There is no opportunity for rebellious humanity to be rescued from the judgment to come. The necessity of hearing the gospel, brothers and sisters, is one of the primary reasons we have missions. That's why we gave to Annie Armstrong to send missionaries to plant churches primarily in North America. And we'll do it again as we do the Antioch offering in the summer and then Lottie Moon in the winter to fund gospel proclamation because if they do not hear, they do not have, verse 17, saving faith. So we're returning to Paul's train of thought here and his concern over Israel. This is what he's getting at. We're coming at this, we've been in this chapter or these verses several weeks, but this is where I want us to get to the heart of what Paul's after as it concerns the nation of Israel. He's listed out these five steps and, and basically he's saying everything that has needed to happen on the human side of things has happened. Preachers have been sent, preachers have preached, they have heard, but they verse 17, or verse 16, have not all obeyed. They have not all believed. And so the breakdown happens in that second to last step. They haven't believed, and therefore they haven't called, and therefore they aren't saved. And unless that changes, there's no hope. Paul says, verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. And then he quotes Isaiah and he says, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? Paul says, just like in Isaiah's day, 
As Isaiah in chapter 6 says, here I am, Lord, send me. And what was the message? Having ears, they will not hear, and having eyes, they will not see. You're going to go to a hard, rebellious people, and you're going to preach, and most will not believe. And Paul says, so it was in Isaiah's day, so it is in our day. In Oak Park, the truth is, is that we are working, we will work, we will minister, we will seek to find new avenues of of ministry, and we will be weary from the work. And we will say along with Paul, but most have not obeyed the gospel. That is just the reality of it. Does it mean that we don't hope that people do uh, come to faith in Christ? And indeed, the promise is, some will. But the expectation that we see all throughout Scripture, even in Jesus' ministry, is that most do not obey. So how do we wrestle with that? How do we wrestle with, we've shared the gospel with people, or we've been here, this church has been here nearly 60 years, been over 60 years. Why is there only... About 300 people here. Jeff's growing. Although most will not believe, we have a responsibility here. We have a commissioning to warn people of the judgment to come. Pastor Gary read in our pastoral prayer time from Ezekiel chapter 33, and the gist of it is this. If we don't warn people of the judgment to come, Notice, it's not as if they, they just die in ignorant bliss and enter into heaven. No, they will die in their iniquity. They will die even though they did not hear. And they will be judged for their sin. And if they die because we did not tell them, God says, I'll hold their blood on your hands. God says, I'll, I'll hold you accountable in some sense. And that is a, a scary thing. And I think that's, if you remember where Paul says, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. I think there's something there of, a, of a, a, an obligation, a commissioning given by the Lord. And there's a heaviness there. In fact, in Acts, on two occasions, Paul says something very similar to this. I am innocent of the blood of all. I've been here and I've preached the full counsel of God and I have warned you and I am innocent. He's been faithful, he says, to warn and call people to salvation in Christ. And essentially, this is what I think he's getting at here in Romans chapter 10 concerning Israel. They have heard and they have not obeyed and therefore blood is on their own heads. So here's what I want us to consider this morning. He's not thrilled. He's not saying blood be on your own hands, good riddance of you. That's not his heart. His heart is grief. And we're going to see it doesn't keep him from continuing to share the gospel with them. He holds out hope. But here's what I want us to consider this morning in light of what Paul is going to be talking about in his ministry to Israel. I want us to consider if we can say about Jeffersonville in southern Indiana what Paul says about Israel. They have disobeyed the gospel, meaning they heard it, they understood it, and they rejected it. Can we say that? Can we say that about our our neighborhood? those who live right around us, the the school that we're in, our classmates, or the workplace that we find ourselves, or, or even amongst our own family, that I am innocent of the blood of all. We need to be able to say that the gospel this morning has gone out from this church in such a way that those who live in Jeffersonville know that just as the sun rises every morning, so the Son of Man has risen evermore. And I want you to see that this morning. That Paul says that it goes out and is heralded at such an extent that no one can say, I never heard. With that thought, I want to place before us three evangelistic responsibilities given by God that 
to us so that we may be innocent of the blood of all. And the first reason is that, or first evangelistic responsibility that we have is that we must communicate the gospel. We must communicate the gospel. Paul says in verse 18 of Israel, have they not heard? Have they not heard? Is that why Israel by and large has not embraced Jesus as the Messiah? Maybe it is that they haven't heard, he says. But he quickly says, indeed they have. And then he supports this claim by citing Psalm 19, verse 4. You see there, their voice has gone out to all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Now, this is actually rather perplexing if you know and are familiar with Psalm 19. At least the first four verses where this is found. Psalm 19 speaks or begins speaking of God's general revelation in the creation. It's speaking of the the heavens declaring the glory of God and the sky proclaiming His handiwork. This verse that Paul cites speaks about the voice of creation going out into all the earth and their words of the sun going out to the ends of the world. There's no point in which the sun's rays don't shine, right? And so wherever you are on the face of the planet, one may look up and know that there is a Creator because it is screaming His glory to all the earth. And so we need to ask, what is Paul doing here? Is he implying that general revelation, that is the revelation that we see in the creation, that someone greater than us made this world. Is he saying that's all people need to have heard? In Israel, you should have responded. Is that what he's saying? I don't think that can be what he's saying. Because it would contradict what he's already said about this topic in Romans chapter 1. Where he says the exact opposite. Namely, that creation merely leaves people condemned. Listen to what he says in, in Romans 1.20. For God's invisible attributes, the things that you cannot see, namely his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly perceived. So you can see them through this revelation. Ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Why is humanity without excuse when they look at the creation? Because knowing, uh, through the creation, they know they're accountable to a higher being. They know they're accountable to the creator that they refuse to seek out. And that they refuse to worship. Instead, humanity turns away from the God who creates the world and worships the things that he's created. Paul calls this idolatry, and this idolatry, this false worship, leads to all the chaos that is in the world. So the creation is only a general message. There's a God, and he's bigger than you, and you're accountable to him. And that message merely leaves sinful humanity without excuse And it isn't enough for them, enough knowledge for them to be saved. So Paul isn't saying here, back in Romans chapter 10, that the creation provided enough information for Israel to be saved, and they heard it, and they just rejected it. So if that's not what he's saying, then what is he saying? This is what I think Paul's getting after. Paul is saying that under his ministry of gospel proclamation, The gospel has gone out into the world in such a way that it's on par with general revelation. Do you understand what I mean by that? He has made sure the gospel is so well known and so proclaimed in every crevice of his ministry. It's just as if you walked outside and you know the sun's going to be there. You can't escape its rays. It is so common knowledge that no one can claim they've been around me that they haven't heard. That's what I think he's getting at. 
Paul has preached enough and planted enough churches that no Jew could plead ignorance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is probably exaggerating a little bit here. But his point is, is that the gospel has gone out and is so proclaimed that no one can plead ignorance. And we get this. No one in our country could plead ignorance to who the president is. Regardless of what you think of him, no one could say, I haven't heard about the guy, right? There's no possible way you couldn't have heard of Donald Trump. Now, I guess there could be somebody out there who is completely buried themselves in a hole and has no idea. But they've got bigger problems, right? There's no excuse if you do not know or have not heard. And Paul says of Israel, there's no excuse. Of all the things that have come to them, in fact, the Messiah was died and buried and rose again in their midst. And everybody's been talking about it. They know, and here's how I know they know, because they're trying to run us out of town. They've heard. They know. Does Jeffersonville know? I think in some way the message is prominent here. I, I don't think at one level people can claim that, you know, I didn't know where to go. But uh, in some level our, our culture is changing. And, and people are growing up, and they're not growing up in Christian homes like most of us did. They don't know what sin is, what the Bible is, what the gospel is, who Jesus is. I heard a story, and I, don't, I, I think I don't have any reason to doubt its truthfulness, but that a, 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 a teenager was being interviewed for, uh, it was a Catholic school uh, here in town, and, and just some simple questions and just said, how did Jesus die? And the student replied, he was shot? I mean, that's so far off. But that's the world we're living in. She'd heard something, but she hadn't heard accurately who Jesus was. And so can we say about Jeffersonville that people know? Have they heard about what he has done and who he is to the extent that they understand what the sun is and what it does every day? Or what a bird is or a tree or a fish or the wind? That Jesus, is, his knowledge is just expansive around here. Paul says of Israel, yes. Jeffersonville, can we say yes? Paul has another question. Maybe it's Israel's problem is not just that they have heard, but they didn't understand what they heard. And that's why they don't believe. Maybe that's the problem. I think we could make that case in some sense. I think many people have heard the name of Jesus here in America. And certainly this is a, a vastly different context than the Arabic-speaking world or some of the uh, farthest reaching ends of the earth and maybe the Amazon. We can find people groups who literally have not heard. It's hard to find someone who, who says, Jesus who? Around here. But maybe you could say they, they don't understand. Well, Paul says of Israel in verse 19, did Israel not understand? Is that the problem? Understand what? Namely, that God's salvation in Jesus or through Jesus would go to the ends of the earth and that most of Israel would miss it. That's really what Romans 9 through 11, he's getting at. God's ways of bringing salvation to the world. Did Israel not understand? And Paul says, yes, they understood this reality. And or at least they should have understood it. And Paul assumes a yes answer and then provides two witnesses to kind of come to the stand. And the first witness is Moses. You see that here in verse 19. First, Moses says, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 21, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. 
the close of Moses' ministry in the book of Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible. Moses prophesied, he, he brought the word of the Lord to Israel, saying that, Israel, you are actually going to reject God. Actually tells them, blessing and curses have been brought before you, but here's what you're going to do. You're going to follow the ways of the nations, and you're going to reject, and, and judgment's going to come upon you. And particularly in this text, he says, this is how God's going to do it. This judgment will come as foreign nations who do not know God, in some sense, receive his favor. They're raised up in power. Seems like he's blessing them, and God will bring them in and judge you. This was a mystery as to how this would come about. What would its fullness look like? Certainly this happened at one level when Babylon and Assyria came in. God used them as his instruments to judge his people and literally drag them out of their land, evict them from, their, from the land that God had given them. But Paul says in a far greater way, the Lord is doing this. He's bringing judgment upon Israel through the nations who foolish people to make them jealous, as we see, to make them angry. Paul says, Israel, the nations are coming to worship your Jewish Messiah, your Savior. They are worshiping Him. They are giving their lives to Jesus, and they are inheriting all your blessings. That's what Romans 1 through 8 is all about, basically, particularly 5 through 8. Here's all the blessings of adoption, sonship, glory. Those were all the things that were promised to Israel, Romans chapter 9, verse 4. But if you're in Christ, they're yours. Because you've become a son and daughter of Christ. And what Paul is telling Israel is, is that God is doing this to make you jealous. He's stirring you up to anger. And you think about, if you're familiar with the book of Acts, what happens every time they go into the Jewish synagogue and they preach? There's a great divide, isn't there? Most don't believe, and they, they try to run them out of town. And it's interesting, at the end of those sections, kind of comes up with a summary, and you find out many Gentiles believed. Paul comes into the synagogue, preaches to whom the gospel is first written to. Most of them don't believe. The ones who do believe are, are God-fearers. Those are Gentiles, that's non-Jews, who basically said, I will become culturally a Jew so that I may hear the word of the Lord, and they hear the hope. They're kind of the outcasts. Yeah, those are those people who want to be like us, and they believe. Paul says, this is what's happening. This is why you want to kill me. You understand. You understand. He goes on to a second witness in the prophet Isaiah who anticipates this day. In Isaiah 65, 1, and, and, and Paul says, Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, he's speaking on behalf of the Lord, I have been found by those who did not seek me. And I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. God says, when I come and my salvation comes, people who weren't seeking me are going to find me. And people who weren't asking for me are going to receive me. And brothers and sisters, this is talking about you and me. And if we understand our hearts and, and where we were, I, I wasn't seeking God, you sought me. And, and really, sometimes the scripture tells us the story better than we could tell it because we don't understand all the factors that were going in, even the fact that I was born into a Christian home, what impact that had. God was in control of that, and he was saving people who were not seeking him. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 30. Look, look at what he says there. What then shall we say? That Gentiles, just think pagans, non-worshippers of God, who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. 
That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that of Israel, who pursued the law that would lead to righteousness, what happened? They did not obtain it. They did not succeed. Paul's saying this is what's happening. And and the two greatest prophets of Israel's day had told you that this is what happened. But here's the problem, Israel. You've never believed the message that has come. Israel as a nation was built to understand God's ways of salvation, yet continually, if you know the story, they refused to submit to God. It characterized their entire history. Look at Acts chapter 7 where Stephen, the first Christian martyr, what does he say? You have always resisted the Holy Spirit. And you have killed the prophets that are sent to you. You rejected Moses, you rejected David, and you have rejected the greater Moses and David, Jesus Christ. And now you're going to kill me, his messenger. So what does this mean for us? It means that we need to strive not only to announce the message of salvation, but also to explain it. I mean, Paul These are likely excerpts from sermons where he is digging expositionally, uh, unpacking Deuteronomy for them. Now let's go to Isaiah and looking, and he's just giving us snippets here. And no doubt he had been preaching and laboring over the scriptures. See, this is what's going on. Do you see it? That's what I try to do with us too. Look at the text. Is this not what's happening? He's been explaining it, yet they reject it. And so we too need to announce salvation, but we also need to explain it. We need to see that we are the light of the world. How do we do that? In particular, this is where I want to challenge us. We've been challenging us for the last couple of Sundays. We need to build relationships where conversation can occur, where questions can be asked and they can clearly understand that they must make a choice. And here's one of the most simple means. You don't need an outstanding Bible study for you. You don't need, uh, some, you don't need me to come be at the lunch or any of the other pastors. Here's all you need to do. Hey, get to know somebody. Take them to lunch. Take your lunch break. Whatever that looks like where you're rubbing shoulders. And begin to tell them about how your life has been changed through Jesus Christ. And see where that conversation leads you. Another way you can do this is just, if they are inquiring, say, hey, what, would you mind? Do you want to get together? And well, let's just read a chapter a day out of one of the Gospels. Pick one. I don't care which one. It's all Scripture breathed out. It's profitable. Pick one now and say, let's read it and let's just talk about it. What does it say? And, and here, you're the messenger. You're the preacher. You're just getting them to read it. They're hearing the word of Christ. Let it do its work. Let it do its work. Say, hey, you want to hear more? Come with me. Come with me on Sunday morning. Uh, our pastor just opens up the Bible and he just preaches it. And then be prepared to give an answer, a reason for the hope that you have. It's really not complicated. It's not. We need to make sure they understand who Jesus is. And I think many people hear about Jesus. They hear about his love. And they assume, this is what I, I assess for, for in our culture and what the conversations that I have here in our area, they've heard of Jesus. And they could tell you some since he died for sins. But they, and they'd say that Jesus loves me or God loves me. And they have very general statements that they no doubt have heard through, through someone. But they assume that his love is automatic and nothing in their ch- life needs to change. God loves me. I believe in God. Therefore, I'm good. But what we need to help them understand in a loving appealing, attractive way is that Jesus, yes, he demonstrated his love for you by dying on the cross, therefore he demands your allegiance. You might not say it that way, 
that you need to communicate it. You must come to him. You must choose to serve him over the world. And we need to be explaining to people that it looks like following him. Believing him means you will follow him. And what does following him look like? It looks like turning from your way of life. It does not worship Him. And confessing Him as Lord and your God through believer's baptism. Joining His church and being taught all that He commanded. That's what it looks like. And brothers and sisters, some will respond. Some will. We don't know the timing. Jesus says this work is like a farmer who goes out and he he plants seeds. You know what he does at the end of the day? It's kind of astonishing. He goes to sleep. He rests. And he goes out and he plants. And he waters. And he goes home and he, he sleeps. That's what we do. Every day, here's what I'm hoping to do when we're, we're gathering and we open up the Word. My prayer is that, that, that the, the Word would burn within our hearts and we would have a heart stoked with a flame of the Word of God and that we would be seed dispensers out in our community and we go home and we sleep and we do it again and we do it again and we pray that we reap a harvest. That's what we need to be doing. And this type of ministry, it's going to be weary. And at times, oftentimes, it's going to be heartbreaking. And here's, here's where the challenge. I face this all the time, and, and we're all going to face this. And this is kind of what I think Paul's getting off to. They've rejected it. Maybe I did it wrong. Is this really going to reach people? I mean, the way we do church, is that really going to do it? This is so, like, not convincing here's what we do we we remember that we're hearing and watching the history of the church unfold through these very simple means of people proclaiming the gospel yes heralding it vocationally heralding it in the streets or sharing it in their homes and people come to faith in christ but although it gets weary and and the reality is that most will reject this. We never stop extending the message. This is what I mean by the third point. We must live the gospel. Verse 21. Even though most of Israel did not obey the gospel through faith, Paul says this has actually defined their history. But, even though this has defined Israel from day one, the Lord has never stopped extending His hands of mercy to them. It's never stopped appealing to Israel to come to Him. Look at verse 21. But of Israel, He says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. I mean, what a beautiful picture this is. Picture here is of God extending His hands, calling Israel back to Him. This is when I, actually what I think of and how I know He was doing in my life. First 18, 19 years of my life, I was disobedient and contrary. But I thank God He didn't, never stopped extending His hands to me. And if we begin thinking about our stories, is that not true? How many times did the gospel come to us? How many times did someone preach to us? How many times did they invite us to church? Didn't mean we always took them up on it. But we know if we had died in our sins, we would have not been without excuse. It's double negative, but you know what I mean. We wouldn't be able to plead ignorance. And this is what the picture of God is. And in the same way, we are to be God's hands extending, being extended to the lost world, pleading with them, be reconciled to God, be brought right to God. 
calling them to experience His goodness. When I consider this picture, I think of Jesus, and rightfully so. I think of Jesus who said to the people, Matthew 11, come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. What does he say? I will give you rest. Come. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he's saying here, the picture is of you've been pursuing it your way. Isn't it so hard? Life's hard. He says, come put me on. The yoke that I'll bear is light because I'm bearing it for you. Come, come. Or when he speaks to the disciples, he says, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. He's like a loving father who just says, let him come. Let him come. And he, he, he turns from that story and says, unless you receive the kingdom like these little children. Or at the end of his ministry, where he looks over the city, he says, oh, Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I would have gathered you under my wings as a hen gathers her brood under hers, and you were not, what? Willing. Just because people reject the gospel, do not obey the gospel, doesn't mean there isn't any hope we continue to extend the arms appealing until that last breath. We never stop because the Lord never stopped with us. He kept sending those prophets, and He keeps sending us as the messengers, even though the world will chew us up. Church family, living the gospel is giving off in our presence, in our speech, the appeal to come and find rest. It looks like Paul, who says he begs sinners on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. It's walking in wisdom with unbelievers, making the best use of our time, letting our speech always be seasoned with what? Grace. Is that how people think of us? Every time I come in contact with you, grace, grace, grace. Back when I first started talking to my good friend Toby Jenkins, pastor at First Baptist Henryville, we started talking about the jail ministry. By the way, some of you don't know, we are back in the jail this Sunday, right? Yeah. Um, first Sunday of the month, we go in, men and women herald the gospel. It's a way you can do this. But as we began plotting and talking about this from the beginning stages, we were having coffee or lunch or something like this, and he was telling me about ministry. He says, brother, I want to tell you, most of these people we're ministering to are in your neighborhood. So, yeah, that's here, he means, not where I live, but this direct neighborhood, Jeffersonville. And he said to me, and I'll never forget it, he says, if Oak Park's not willing to go preach the gospel to him, who will? And this is what he meant by that. He says, I know it's a healthy, vibrant, gospel-loving people who love Jesus, want to see people come to know Him. And his point is, is if people like that who get it won't go, then who is going to go? And that's true not just for our involvement in the jail ministry, but that's true for everywhere the Lord has us. If you don't talk to your children about the gospel and you can't explain it and help them understand, who is? If you're not going to talk to them. Or think about your neighbors. Who are you waiting on to go talk to them? You're the Christian there, by and large. My cul-de-sac has at least three. We can tag team this. If we're not going to go, who, who will? You're the Christian 
in your workplace. If you're not going to be strategic in trying to find a way that you can go talk to somebody, who is? And if we're not willing to go, then we will be found guilty of the blood of all. That's a weighty, weighty thought. To stand before our Lord and he say, why didn't you, I sent you, why didn't you go? Why didn't you speak? And as Gary prayed, and it was so fitting, Lord, forgive us where we have failed to speak. But uh, his grace is more, right? His grace abounds. And so we rest in our Heavenly Father's goodness towards us and we let that goodness propel us to go share that goodness to the world, right? All right, well, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll have our students come back up and lead us in the closing song. Father, we cannot say we do not know. Your word has been clearly brought to us. And, and so, Lord, I pray that you would stir in our hearts, fan a flame in our hearts, a burden to speak clearly the gospel and live it out amongst those we come in contact with, calling them to faith in you. And, Lord, we go in with our eyes wide open. Expectation here is they will not all believe. But that should not dissuade us because you have promised us some will. And Lord, we entrust those results to you, but Lord, we want to be faithful farmers, faithful servants, faithful laborers, good soldiers. And Lord, we want to give our lives to this cause and die to our pride and die to our ambivalence. Lord, thank you for always seeking us out. And Lord, I pray for anybody here right now who doesn't know you, Lord, that they would have seen even now your hands extended to them and the grace that is offered through the, your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, may they come and may they believe and may they join us in extending your word to the ends of the earth. And we pray these things with eager hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, let's stand and let's sing a closing song. I think, God, you reign.